Okay, here we are, Ducks Don't Get Cold Feet, number 47. I'm pretty excited to have him right in front of me here. We have Tim Possingham. Now, some of you might be thinking, I've heard of that name before, but where is it? And Tim's had this fascination with cars probably since he was 16 years old when he had his own car, and he's now the man behind the AMF, or should I say the Adelaide Motorsport Festival, bringing it to Adelaide and I've heard it said before that they want to try and make this the second biggest car event in the world, followed behind the Goodwood <laughs> Festival of Speed. Welcome, Tim. Thanks so much, JP. So there you go, I Matt. Know, I don't know about second biggest <laughs> car event in the world. You might have a couple of things uh, not quite right there. But, um, yeah, we've got great aspirations, um, but uh, maybe not quite that big. Well, I'm pretty excited about it because the AMF is something that, um, for those of you are listening not in a motorsport, well, you're, you're going to hear a fair bit about it now. And it has been an event that's been going over a few years. So I think there's a little bit of a break there. But it just appears to me that this is gaining some serious traction. Now, we've, we're in 2024, just in case you're listening to this for the first time and you might be in the distant future or you're definitely in the past. But what is it all about? What's the Adelaide Motorsport Festival? The Adelaide Motorsport Festival is, or the, the, the best way for me to describe it, is it's a, it's a smorgasbord for the motorsport fans. So... Um, I've got some well-defined, I suppose, rules or philosophies on delivering events, and what, and I suppose what this event should be, and um, you know, you might say a recipe for success. And in that recipe um, are very, very small bites of very, very tasty things. Um, so, part of the key to what I believe um, is the success um, surrounding the event is that we have a diverse range or a great variety of cars at the event um, and then we have some intense activity for very very short periods of time in this day and age uh, it goes without saying you know we're all acutely aware of the fact that people don't have a very long attention span um, you know they they want to see something really really intense for a short period of time and then move on to something else well we do a bit of that with the motorsport festival but it also relates to personalities at the event um, activity on the track, the types of cars, and some of the sort of the flavour or colour um, off track as well. So it's fair to say, even if you're not into cars, it is a great spectacle, which will be in Victoria Parklands in Adelaide. Like, what made you get involved with this? Uh, I I suppose you know I'd have to start talking about my background, but you know um, I I had a well, I still do have a marketing company and by default the marketing company would be involved in uh, events. And, uh, which so are an soon Im- marketing, yeah, just in case yeah, anyone some, look it up. stands for something out of nothing marketing because I suppose that's what I love doing is I love creating something out of nothing. You know, I'm a creative really um, at heart. So uh, an event is just another medium to, you know, create something, whether it be um, whether it be something visual or it be something that's um, uh, video uh, or you know, something else artistic, creating a whole event, something is something that people, you know, can um, appreciate and ad- admire and, and, and get enjoyment out of. So I, um, I suppose I'm a creative at heart and I was involved with a lot of motoring businesses or automotive businesses and defence businesses. 
um, mostly throughout the early 2000s and um, I was exposed to events overseas like the SEMA show and Autosport International which is arguably probably you know one of the more uh, or the premium or premier motorsport event in the world which is held in in Birmingham um, every year in January and being exposed to all of those things and obviously also going to a lot of motor racing events I can talk to you about later and, and, and how I got to that place. I suppose um, I got an interest in uh, being involved in the running of events myself and uh, mostly became or became more heavily involved in the running of tarmac rally events. So uh, particularly the Superlock Target Adelaide, which was the follow-on from the, um, the classic Adelaide rally and then... From then, uh, the Adelaide Rally, which you know we own or I own and operate as well. So that's what I suppose what led me into the event space. But then a meeting with um, the Sporting Car Club some time ago is what really got the Motorsport Festival going because the Sporting Car Club were looking to try to do other activities or you know other um, motoring events. They wanted to do what they called a around the houses event, which is sort of a uh, uh, like a motorcana type, um, you know, uh, event somewhere, and someone suggested that um, you know Victoria Park would be useful because uh, there was some barrier systems in place from the uh, you know the Adelaide 500 that might be utilised. So I remember having a meeting with Mark Warren and and at the time uh, SA Motorsport board member Natasha Milani about whether we could cooperate on use of some assets, and um, and that is when uh, the Adelaide Motorsport Festival, I suppose, concept was really born because I got a bit of traction with them and what we might be able to do in that park. And then um, and then my mind just took off about, you know, where we might be able to take this. And in year one, um, I created a hill climb at um, Mitcham up Windy Point and we ran a little sprint in Victoria Park and it had 1,800 people at it. And, um, and then sort of fast forward to... 2018, um, which, uh, which saw the event have people like Ivan Capelli and Pierluigi Martini and Stephanie Hansen involved and um, some good, you know, good names like that. And I think that you know, we're probably in the 20,000s at that point um, attending and um, uh, things were really going very well until we had a change of government and then uh, that government decided that they would um, cut support for the event. So uh, that was that. Was that until I got a phone call from a guy called Peter Malinowskis. Um, one, one night I was at home and um, phone rang and it was a private number and I picked it up and this guy said, um, hi Tim, I'm, I'm Peter Malinowskis and you know, if we're elected I want to bring the Adelaide Motorsport Festival back and I, just, I want to have a chat with you about it. And we had that discussion and um, uh, of course uh, they came into power and Peter delivered on his promise and um, uh, we received some financial support which enabled us to get the event back up and running again. And, of course, um, last year it was a great success in its first year back and this year everything's tracking to be significantly greater again. Uh, and a great story. I've been involved in it and it's, it's amazing to be able to have that open pit access where anyone can walk through and... And, and go through the cars to get, you know, see it, smell the petrol. Like, I don't know if I'm meant to be doing that. But, you know, getting involved with it and actually seeing the excitement that that brings and the fact that it's so close to the city, it really does pull in a lot of people to go to the event. And 
you know, from what you're saying, this this year, which will be 2024, looks to be bigger and better than ever. Yep. And that's all started from a love of cars. So let's cast our minds back. What what got when, when were you into cars? <laughs> like was it is it a thing when you're born or you know, for me it wasn't really. I played with cars when I was younger. Played with like Hot Wheels cars, as you can see. I've kept some of those still on this yeah. wall. But I wasn't really into cars until probably the late part of school for me. And then I started. Well, you know what it was? It was WRXs. It was Colin McRae and World Rally. And I was never into that before him. And yeah. uh, when I saw that you could actually drive a car like that, I was blown away. And that got me into my love for cars. And it started through rally. Not that I've ever rallied myself because they are crazy. I don't mind going around a, a, a track. But definitely uh, the rally drivers take it to another level, which, and that's, you were involved with rallying quite a bit, but when did you start your love for cars? Uh, Look, let's wind it right back. I mean, both my parents raced cars, so my mother and my father, and um, they would do things like uh, Colin Grove Hill Climb. You know, my my mother won the Colin Grove uh, Winter Cup Hill Climb Championship um, for the uh, women's, women's, uh, Winter Cup Hill Climb Championship, let's say. And, um, you know, my father used to uh, race interstate and used to race here at Malala, etc. And they'd, they'd be racing things like old MGTCs, MGBs, um, Alpha 105s and, you know, things like that. So I think as a child I was brought up with cars. But I have to say that when we went to events, like if we went to Colin Grove Hill Climb, um, I... I wasn't interested in the cars at all when I was a kid. So I'd be off in the paddocks with, you know, other young kids and we'd be doing things like chasing, you know, rabbits or, <laughs> you know, catching lizards or, you know, doing so- climbing trees, doing something that I, you know, I thought was far more exciting um, at that point in time. But um, so it wasn't until I got a car and so when I was 15 I was given um, a Leyland Mini and um, it was um, – it, it, it was it was a just a standard sort of type of thing, and um, I learned to drive in that car. And then I took an interest in modifying the car because other friends at that point in time it had things like old LJ Taranas and, and whatnot. They were buying these cars or getting these cars, and then they were modifying them. And um, so I I got a bit of an interest in that, and I bought a book called uh, How to Tune the A-Series Engine. It's and it was sort of about modifying the engine that's in these minis and things. And I started to do all the work on the car myself. My father would be working on cars in the garage or even had, uh, you know, differentials out of the back of his Jaguar or something on the kitchen bench, you know, that he was... Re- Sounds like my dad. My dad pulled apart <laughs> car engines on his bed. Yeah, there you go. <coughs> well, it was a bit like that, um, but I... I just did my own thing, so I shared the same toolbox that my father had, but um, I just, I suppose, was self-taught, and I'm happy to talk about that a bit later on because there's one particular thing in my life that is, and I often talk about it when I um, do interviews like this, is one phrase which is, um, refit is a re- it, refit is the reversal of the removal procedure, right, JP? So yeah. what that in essence means is, Put something back together again the way you pulled it apart. And and that's really how I learned is to dissect something or pull it apart and then learned how it worked and then I would be able to put it back together again. And whether that be 
an engine or whether, you know, or a part of an engine or something else or something in business or life. That's, um, that's something I've always followed. And that is a phrase that's often used in a Gregory's uh, repair manual. Really? So you might remember the old Gregory's manuals or the old, um, I think, Haynes manuals or, or, or whatnot that would describe how you were to rebuild an engine or replace a cylinder head or something like that. There was often parts that said refit is the reversal of the removal procedure rather than, you know, describe you know, exactly what you've just done, you know, having to do it again. So, um, yeah, I, um, I was self-taught in terms of playing around with the cars and modifying cars, and then I started doing circuit sprints at Malala, and I did a couple of hill climbs, and, and, um, and then I vividly remember one day um, I'd gone out to Malala with the Mini and um, blew a head gasket, and we flat-toed it, so... That means towed it with a rope the entire way back from Malala Holy all the way to Stirling. Uh, and, to Stirling? Uh, to Stirling and um, yeah, the whole way. And, um, you know, back in those days you do, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. that yep. That uh, now seems seems ridiculous. Oh, you would have passed through a few cameras that would have, um, yeah, you would have passed through a few cameras that you would have got a fine for yeah, towing possibly. A, an unregistered car. Yeah, so yeah. we um, got it home and this one was registered and... Um, I remember replacing the head gasket and then I drove it up to the pizza bar, got to the local pizza bar with some mates at, you know, around 12.30 at night or something like that. And when I just drove into the pizza bar car park, there was this almighty noise and then um, and the, and the car stopped. And anyway, we ended up getting it home and realised that it had uh, actually had broken a crankshaft and that, and that was it. And I'd sold that Mini and all my other Minis. I was a bit of a Mini freak at that time. And, um, and then I started again into Datsun 1600s and Cortinas and Mazda Rotaries. I bought a Mazda RX-2. Um, and, um, what uh, about your black Mazda RX-4? Black RX-4 didn't come till a lot later. And I had, in, uh, when we're talking about breaking this crankshaft and whatnot, I'm sort of circa you know, 17 years old, um, 17, 18 years old. And then I, I suppose then I went on to... Um, uh, I went to study architectural drafting, building design and advertising and then left. What, was that a course? <laughs> bits <laughs> off, bits <laughs> off, bits <laughs> off, JP. Um, and um, then, we, uh, then I, um, I got a job in an advertising firm and um, I lasted there for probably about three months and then I left to go and work at a race car fabrication company called Trump Engineering where we built sports sedans and Commodore Cup cars and... And I just loved that. And that, and I suppose um, that is when I really started um, working on cars or was more deeply entrenched in, in cars in a different way. Well, you must have seen the light because I, I do recall going back in the day, you, I, I thought you owned, but I wasn't sure if you owned an RPM. Was it RPM? Yeah, RPM Performance Centre. There you was go. My, so uh, I, actually, I actually... You're a customer of mine. I rocked up there... With an R33 G, it wasn't GTS, R33 GDS. It, had, it came, I actually bought it and I didn't know, but it had a mines tune on it. Mm-hmm. And I blew something up. Uh, and me, I'm not putting things back together again. Yeah. Um, um, and uh, I took it to I took it to you back in the day. Now, that was a long, that was a long time ago, yeah. just for the record. But you were working on some pretty cool cards back then, predominantly, predominantly Rotos. Yeah, a lot of Mazda Rotary. So, I um, I left the 
it is my whole life story, I suppose. But look, I le- <laughs> yeah, this is good because this is seeing why you why you're doing shit today. Yeah, true, so, yeah, true, that's... true. So I um, I left Trump Engineering after I suppose everything had plateaued for me there. As in, I'd learnt as much as I possibly could. It seemed like um, so. I decided that I would um, look at starting my own business, doing the same sort of thing with what I'd learnt. And at the time, I was sharing a house um, in Burnside, just near Burnside Village, um, with a mate of mine. And it really should have been um, under an HIA order or something like that. This house had massive, massive cracks in the walls and it was <coughs> pretty run down. And this friend of mine and I, um, his name's Danny, um, I won't embarrass him with his, you know, and disclose his surname. Anyway, we... We, um, we filled the entire backyard with cars in Burnside. So there would probably been 20-something, 30 cars in the backyard. We basically set up a wrecking yard in Burnside, <laughs> in Burnside Village. And we would pull the cars apart and sell the parts through the trading post because, you know, you might yep, remember, JP, yep. we had the trading post that would come out every Wednesday night, or yep. it was. And then, you know, and every Wednesday night at about 1 o'clock, we would drive up the freeway and get one of the first drops of the trading post so we could see you know, what was advertised and we'd get onto it in the early in the morning um, to go and buy more stock. You know, we were buying... Back then, we were buying Datsun 1600s for, you know, like $150. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Make me sick. So... You I, probably had a few too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we um, we set up basically a wrecking yard in the backyard and then um, kept track of everything that we're buying and selling and, you know, the, the business model around all of that to get us to the point where... Uh, I said, look, we're good to go to go and rent a, a premise and then set up a business. So we 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 did that. We moved all of the cars out of um, out of Burnside and we put it into a facility down at um, Edwardstown yep. and um, set up a legitimate business. And then um, uh, after and that was that was going extremely well. And then after only six or ten months, I sold out to Danny. Um, I had sort of greater aspirations about what I wanted to do um, at that point. And um, that business was called Adelaide Fours and Rotaries. And it was all based around four-cylinder and Mazda Rotary cars and spare parts. And um, Danny took that forward. And then I um, started RPM Performance Centre and then grew that to the point where after some years we had eight employees, uh, had some great guys working for me. I mean, it was a really, really good team. Um, we, uh, we had a fabrication area, we had a dyno centre or a dyno machine in there um, and we would do rebuilds on cars and engine, a lot of engine conversions and, um, and you know, dyno tuning and things like that. Well, I, I was big, it was huge in the day. Yeah. Do you think it's uh, a little bit harder to modify cars than it used to be? Well, I don't, I don't know, and I've been out of the scene for a long time. But back then, um, you know, it was fairly straightforward, and we used to we did a lot of work with um, engi- fully engineered cars that you know we had diff conversions and brake conversions and all the other kind of stuff. And um, what I did in my work life around that was um, in the very or around two thousand, um, I had uh, realised that all of these cars we were building were being featured in magazines like Fast Fours and Rotaries or yep. Hot Fours magazine yep. or whatever it might be. And these magazines were making their way out overseas. So, you know, these magazines were picked up in places like Brunei, Singapore, um, you know, Kuala Lumpur, um, even back in the UK, in England and, and in the US. And I started to <clears throat> get inquiries from 
people that were in these parts of the world and they would say, look, Tim, can you, you know, we see all these RPM Performance Centre cars you've been involved with, um, can you come over and do, let's say, a two or three days of tuning for us? Can you, um, um, you know, can, can we work with you in some way? So I ended up doing these trips and then by default ended up creating an international dealer network because I um, we used to use a lot of Australian product, <coughs> excuse me, like... Um, Microtech engine management systems, Haltech engine management systems and things like that. And so when I'd connected with all these people overseas, we then started to sell that product out over there to yep. these people that I knew. In around about 1999, this thing happened, which is called the internet. Right? <laughs> and um, yeah, so that sort of came about. And um, I created an online shopping business called Horsepower in a Box and we also started to move product through to other people around the world that were also doing the same thing in terms of, you know, they set up online shopping businesses or, or whatever. So we started to, um, we had the workshop RPM Performance Centre, but I started to distribute a lot of product. And then a lot of the product didn't have training manuals or any promotional material with it. So then yeah. Yeah, yeah. I started to create training programs. Um, and what I mean by that is we would... Um, we would do something like we would bring in people from overseas that would do um, a training program in how to use the Microtech engine management system and then there would be some hospitality at, let's say, the, the Jamboree, the you know the drag racing yeah, yeah. event in Queensland um, and, and some things like that. So by default, I'd created a distribution company, a marketing company, a training company <laughs> and we had the workshop. And, um, you know, around about that time, I also uh, I sold the workshop I went through a divorce and then I reshaped what I was doing in my life. Um, and what I mean by that is I, I suppose I realised that um, I had um, done a reasonable job of this sort of, I suppose, business side of things in terms of un creating a strategy and the marketing and, and any of the other bits and pieces that go with it. So I started to consult to automotive businesses, um, uh, mostly automotive businesses that had a connection with defence as well. And um, uh, that's when I suppose I got exposed to more of the international um, trade shows and international business and, and people and, um, you know, met some really, really interesting individuals. You know, it was around about that time that I met people like David Brabham and, you know, other people that, you know, I'm friendly with today that have come to the festival and, and things like that. So... That's, I suppose, my journey through uh, uh, what, or who who I am and um, my exposure to motorsport as a child all the way through. And I suppose what that does today, I'd like to think, is that it gives me a, probably a different perspective on things. So um, I am, you know, I really am a true enthusiast and I understand cars more intimately, as in I understand what it takes to rebuild a gearbox or an engine or tuning a car or something like that. Um, and so I think that that's helpful for what I do. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I think that to answer your question, I suppose, or the, the commentary that you made earlier about, you know, are you born like this or, you, you know, is it some sort of environmental thing that makes you like this? I have to say that although I feel like I wasn't interested in my parents' motorsport, there's got to be some sort of <coughs> DNA type thing there. And I suppose it was just ignited um, when I got my licence when I was 16 and then, you know, it, it, it just took off from there. Well, I, I, 
<clears throat> I talk about, you talk about, like, there was something there. I don't know what it was, but mm. I, I remember my old man used to play all these cassette tapes going up to the river. Mm. And it was the same sort of stuff, Dr. Wayne Dwyer, and, like, you're listening to all these self-helps and making yourself a better person and, and whatnot. And I, at the time, thought, oh, this is all rubbish. But it wasn't until later on in life it sort of comes back and goes, oh, yeah, that did make sense. And mm. you're saying the same sort of thing because – we, if the if the environment's right, you do pick that up from your parents. Yeah, I mean, uh, and if the environment's wrong too, I mean, I, I see it on the other side of the fence too when it's not good at home, and it sometimes doesn't even get better for people because of that's that that's what they've been brought up in. So, mm. for you though, being in cars, being involved with cars, you've definitely seen a lot. So, with what you've got to come here as an idea, I mean, it looks pretty stressful putting on a big event. Mm. I, you know, you, you to get you in here for an hour was like it was difficult because of how busy you are and the lead up. Where I don't know how many weeks away we are from the event. Yeah, about two and a half. Yeah, <laughs> uh, shit. Is it that close? Yes, it is. It is. That's why. That's why things are difficult now. They're not like this all the time. <laughs> so, so that lead that lead up in now. You've you've called on a whole lot of friends and you know you're you're trying to yeah you know, I could imagine oh you know so and so can you get them down here now you got some big stars coming to Adelaide yeah is there any that you'd like to let us know about well <clears throat> um, I mean Gunther he just he's saying yeah. he's coming here like uh, he seems really cool that is one person I definitely want to speak he to he is he is look <laughs> I don't I don't know him very well in fact. Uh, this is how this is how these deals are done, right? That we had approached him some time ago, and he knew about the festival. I'm actually constantly amazed about the people that actually really know about this festival. In fact, actually got a good good story to tell in a minute about that. Um, but um, uh, and he wasn't able to attend. But then, luckily for <laughs> us, his leaving Haas <laughs> meant that. Um, he still had a lot of commercial obligations in Australia, um, you know, because he's just released a book, right, called Driving to Survive, which is sort of... Uh, Has he? Yeah, yeah. He's doing some book uh, signings oh, cool. at the event. So um, he had some commercial <laughs> obligations in relation to that um, that he wanted to deliver on, but yet, realistically, he didn't need to be in Australia because he's left the Haas Formula One team, but... Gunther was keen to uh, do the right thing, so he was seeking um, more opportunities to do more things whilst yeah. he was here in Australia. Yeah. So the timing just happened to be right, and then um, uh, so that's how we managed to get him here. But there's, um, yeah, look, it, it, it's really interesting. These these people are really hard to get hold of. Um, and try to and difficult to get deals done because there's so many filters or so many barriers um, between yourself and these people. Yeah. So many gates you've got to go through. It's hard to to sort of get cut through. So you really you've got to go to somebody that's got that cut through that direct communication to try to get an answer. Um, uh, but we, uh, you know, we're, we're really lucky to have people like one of the one of the people I'm most excited about. It's actually Liam Lawson. So, you know, for those of you out there that haven't watched the Drive to Survive season six, Liam Lawson is a guy that I could see. I had him on my radar. I had him on my radar a while ago. Um, he's a cracking young driver from New Zealand, and he became the reserve driver for Red Bull Red Bull AlphaTauri. And it's only because 
Uh, and I'm a little bit annoyed at this, actually, that in Drive to Survive, um, episode nine, they they show Daniel Ricciardo coming back into the team and Liam's the reserve driver. And then in Drive to Survive, it shows that Daniel um, looks like he goes into his first race and then he breaks his wrist. But you know, Daniel came back into the team and didn't look to be performing amazingly well. Yes, he broke his wrist, but Liam came in and really just set the world on fire. And you know, I think that that is shown um, reasonably well in that episode. But um, yeah, he's just punching well above his weight and just he he's just an amazing young kid and um, he's a proper car enthusiast. You'd like him, JP, because he's got... He's got his old Supras and all of that kind of stuff, and he modifies yeah, those cars himself. <clears throat> and you know, so I think he's relatable, and I'm really looking forward to seeing where he goes. I mean, at the festival this year, he'll be driving a an electric Ford van that you might have yeah, just seen just set, the new, Bathurst. Lap, yeah, set <laughs> the new Bathurst lap record. Absolutely did. Yeah, and we'll. Um, so it, I could make it for a lap. Sorry? The battery could make it for a lap. It's a, it's yeah, a sarcastic yeah, yeah, joke. Yeah, yes. It's a sarcastic um, joke because you got to talk about your piece in, in the electric market. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. No problem. Keep, but we'll wait on that because I, I'm interested in, like, if you've, you've got a couple of names. I don't know if you've told, if everyone knows who's coming. So yeah, I've, so we've got, um, so Liam Lawson, for those of you who don't know, you know, at the right at the moment, he's the reserve driver for Red Bull AlphaTauri. Um, he did he did several races with Red Bull last year or with AlphaTauri last year. And, you know, he out-qualified Max Verstappen, had some good, you know, some good racing with Max. Um, he's, um, you know, beat his teammate Yuki Tsunoda in the, uh, you know, the same product at the same circuit and whatever. So I'm really keen to see where he goes. And he's a global name now that Drive to Survive come, come, has come out. But I've got a sneaking suspicion that that there will be a driver shake-up in amongst those that team or Red Bull, whether it be Red Bull that, you know, has currently got um, Perez in it or AlphaTauri. There's something's going to change <coughs> there. And I really hope that Liam gets a gets a gig. So he's... Because um, he's... Uh, we, 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 do we claim as a, claim him as an Australian? Not not quite yet, but you know, <laughs> hey, but he did he he did do. I think it was his first international race he did here in Adelaide, believe it or not. Really, with Team BRM that are based okay. here in Adelaide. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so Liam Liam's a good name and a name to watch. Yeah. Like, that name could be huge in two or three years' time. Um, Gunther, um, you know, he's best known for his appearances on Drive to Survive and his swearing and his sort of forthright <coughs> sort of yeah, I love attitude. It. Um, so he'll be doing a couple of sessions in what we call the Grand Marquee. So um, where um, there'll be some an interview or some discussion about his thoughts on Formula One. And, That'd be and great to like hear because that'd be pretty unfiltered. And yeah. Uh, um, you know, you're going, obviously, Valtteri is almost South Australian these days. Yeah, like, yeah. Valtteri is there. Um he um, he's been seen a lot in South Australia. Oh, he's so, the best. So you know, uh, he, he's a great addition. But you know, it's it's horrible to say, but once the audience has seen somebody so many times, they, they get bored. Yeah, they're immune to it. They you know, in this day and age, <coughs> people need fresh, new, exciting stuff all the time. So, and Valtteri is great to have at the event. Um, but. Um, we knew that we would have to um, bring in some some new people, um, new and old, new people to the event, or or 
I suppose, reintroduce people to Adelaide again. That's we have Damon Hill. So Damon won the last Formula One Grand Prix we had here in Adelaide in 1995. So that's, you know, it's great to have him back. What is he driving? Uh, he have may drive something. He may okay. drive something. But Put he, him in an old Formula One car. Possibly. Come on, Rundle, find one for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but of course, um, you know, these guys, when they're at their age they're at, they... They don't need to be doing this for many different reasons. They don't need to be doing it for for the money. They don't need to be. Uh, they're not certainly not doing it for you know as a buzz or anything like that to you know get into a Formula One car. So it's um it's something that only really has downside because if they get in the wrong car and maybe it's not prepared correctly, yep. then you know they <coughs> risk something going terribly wrong. And you know worst case scenario, you know they they end up killing themselves. So, um, <laughs> you know, and then, hey, that's the reality, right? So, you know, that's that's it. So so, um, so some of them are not keen to drive. Um, Damon uh, might do something when he's here, but he certainly will be, in again, in our Grand Marquee area. I'm really keen on this Grand Marquee thing because much like the rest of the event, you pay a fee to get in. And then, like you were saying before, there's you know there's all these amazing cars in front of you. Um, there's a great vibe. Um, everyone's sort of smiling. Um, there's sort of no barriers to entry. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, even with the Grand Marquis and, and seeing Damon Hill and seeing Valtteri and these people, there's no extra fee to pay. You know that area is only 150 people plus uh, seated, um, but it is um, you know there are opportunities for you to come in the event and see these these people sort of. Not maybe right up close, but, um, you know, certainly you don't have to buy a ticket to a different area or anything like that. It's not like, you know, going to the Formula One and getting a paddock club ticket or something like that. But um, uh, we, we've got David Croft coming to the event this year. So David Croft's the English. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Crofty is the... Um, <coughs> He's cool. English-speaking he he voice gives, of Formula One. Oh, absolutely. He gives the, he gives the most sensible... Um, the most sensible outlook on what's going on, mm. whether it's at the start or at the end of the, or he, he does his wrap ups at the end. Yeah, uh, I, he's great. Yeah, and um, is uh, we, we, of course we've got some of your local um, regulars like you know Craig Lowndes. The, the crowd always loves Craig. I mean, he's such a nice guy, and he's always keen to engage with people. He's super, Mr. Nice Guy. So uh, yeah, um, all right. So there's going to be a lot. Yeah. So I, I did notice, I mean, I'm a Pagani fan. Yeah. I've seen one in real life once before. Uh-huh. Um, there's going to be a Pagani, or there's some Pagani tent or catering or something like yes. that. Since how, That's the first time I've noticed they've been involved in any event. Is that... Is that right? Like, where is well, that? So, uh, there, there were. There, I did go to Melbourne <coughs> Grand Prix a couple of years ago, and there was a Pagani on display there. You know, with Zagamis, and of course, um, the Pagani brands represented by Zagamis here in Australia, and and um, um, that is that's how we've managed to get Pagani to bring a car over, and they have naming rights to our. Uh, our most premium corporate, corporate facility that the event owns and operates at the event. So that was the Gami's, um, I went to, I was lucky enough yep. to go to the Zagami tent, or it's not a tent. No, like, no. Like, Jesus, no. Fort, fortress where they had yeah. all different food. Uh, well, I was driving, so I couldn't drink, but they, they had all these different things, wine tasting, champagne tasting. Like it was, it was way over the top if you wanted that experience. So yep. you, you have catered for the top, top end. 
Yes. As well as just anyone paying for a GA ticket to get through. Yeah, yeah <coughs> correct. There, I mean, there's an, a new space this year. There's a Toyota Gazoo Racing Garden space, which is sort of like a beer garden that's now sold out, um, which <laughs> is a, you know, a, it's got some sort of what you might call dude food and um, and beer and soft drinks um, that is a trackside zone. And then we've got the Honda Villa, which is, again, it's another level up. And um, the, the beverage... Um, offering is elevated. The food offerings more like all day canapes. Uh, we have a Pagani suite that is um, uh, got restaurant style catering. It's got French champagne all day. It's got um, whiskey all day. It's got master classes in champagne and whatnot. Um, and then um, uh, all of the other brands have got their own little spaces. Some of them are exclusive to their customers, like let's say Mercedes AMG or Mercedes Adelaide and Nunley have got a space that's just for their customers there that is a sort of circa 180 people per day type offering and then yes you've got the zagami um offering that is um uh just a whole new level it's really like tasting australia meets um adelaide motorsport festival that's that, that's pretty much what zagami's is yeah and that's that's what makes it a, a <coughs> tasting of baby australia event is so good yeah. And pretty much always sold out. Yep. Do you actually? Do you think you'll sell? Do you have a sellout, or is there a certain number? Yeah, we do. Um, we do, and I and at the moment our ticket sales are tracking such that it is looking like we will probably be about fifteen hundred tickets below a sellout. We're very very close to a sellout. Um, I mean, our ticket sales at the moment are. Um, um, <laughs> Several hundred percent higher than last year. Okay. Our, yeah, and our um, our interstate and overseas visitation, uh, or the number of percentage of tickets that are sold to those interstate and overseas is tracking still at around about twenty percent. That's that's extremely high. So uh, that, all the indicators are pretty good. So, lots of cars going. Mm-hmm. What's your favourite? Well. <laughs> <laughs> is that? I mean, they're not yours, so it's not no, like your child. No. You can't have a favourite. I think. Look for me, and you'll see this on event this year, right? There's this mantra that I'm going to post around the event site, and it says, "It's the sound, right?" Because let's face it, JP, like that's what it is. If I, and I think anyone who wants to knock electric cars, it's really mostly because of the you know the lack of the sound, right? So. Um, you know, the Mazda 767B is arguably the best sounding thing on the face of the earth or one of. Um, So when I hear that circulate around the track, I I know that I'm going to get chills down my spine and I'm just, it's just going to, it's emotive, right? It makes you feel a certain way. And it's not because of what it looks like, okay? It's not because of what it smells like or whatever, it is the sound, and that, that's why I've got this mantra saying it's the sound that will be posted up around the event. I mean, um, there's a local car, or I should say there's a car that is coming in from overseas that belongs to a local gentleman um, that is um, a B200, so it's a 2000 model Benetton Formula 1 car, V10. Um, that is another one of these things that's just absolutely going to scream that I'm really looking forward to to hearing on event, you know, I would say seeing on event, but really it's all about <clears throat> all about the sound. Okay, I'm excited. It's a not, that it, it, I agree with you here. So, why South Australia? Well, we are blessed, apart from the fact that I'm South Australian born <laughs> and bred, right? But we're 
blessed with this perfect scenario that we've got this racetrack that is literally 900 metres from the, from the GPO in the city. Um, we've got bars, restaurants, hotels, very, very close to it. It's an attractive environment. It's very park-like. So it's got a little bit of that Goodwoody-style feeling. For Goodwood, for those of you that are listening that don't know what Goodwood is, Goodwood is uh, probably arguably... Uh, well, the Goodwood Festival Speed is probably the premium uh, event globally that is sort of yeah. similar to, to the event that we have here. Um, and it's held in a beautiful estate. So um, it's, a, it's a nice environment. Um, but then we've got what I often refer to as authenticity, right, which you can't, you can't replicate. And that is attached to our history and heritage that we have here with Formula One and, and Group A touring car racing. So the fact that we had those, a lot of the cars that I've got coming to the event actually raced on the circuit that they will be racing at at the Most Sport Festival or, or that they'll be circulating on. So, you know, to see something like Martin Brundle's 1989 Brabham BT58, drive through centre chicane like it did, you know, back in the 80s. 80s. I mean, that's something that if you try to make that happen at another circuit, it just doesn't have the same feeling about it. It just just, will never be the same. So, um, you know, we've got – actually, this became really apparent the other night because I I had to – I'm involved in writing a speech for somebody who's at the event, somebody who was involved – in the Williams Formula One team, um, or was involved in the Williams Formula One team some time ago, and in writing the speech that they would deliver at the event at a particular time for a function that we got there, this gentleman will be talking about um, uh, the fact that in 1992, I think it was, that they had qualified on pole. That was Nigel Mansell that had qualified on pole there. And in the speech, it references that, you know, right here on this location, right there, that everyone can view out the window of this facility that they'll be in, you know, that is that is where Nigel Mansell sat, you know, in November in 1992, was right there after he was on pole position. And, um, and also after 19 laps, Ayrton and Nigel collided at Mistral Hairpin, which is just there, <laughs> you know, just over there, and um, and you know knocked out of the race, and this happened, and that happened, and blah blah blah. <coughs> so it's things like it's that history and heritage, and the fact that we recreate history in a way that has got this, it's got this authentic piece about it. You know, um, I don't know how to describe it, but it's unreplicable. Like, you can't go and do that at Queensland Raceway. You couldn't even do it at Bathurst. It's still not quite right. But here, when we see cars that, even the touring cars that raced in, like the Shell Sierras and or the, the, the Winfield GDRs and things like that that we've got coming to the event this year, and seeing them back on the circuit and the fact that we can link them back or reference, you know, when they were here last is a really, really powerful thing. But in general, South Australia or Adelaide's really lucky, even with the Adelaide Rally um, that I own and operate, it's we're blessed that we can have the Adelaide Rally based in the Adelaide, uh, near the CBD, and then all the cars head up to the Adelaide Hills, which is some 18 minutes away. Sometimes they get to their first stage and they're in amongst wineries and vineyards and things like that. And... Um, Look again. I, you know, I'm biased, but at the same time, I you know I've travelled enough of the world to see that we really do live in an amazing place here. 
Oh, there's no doubt that Adelaide Rally um, is amazing and some of the stages you get to do. Pretty sure I'd done many times illegally <coughs> at the right speed. Um, but to have a closed road where that's where you can go quick, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not in the top category racing. Mm. But it, it really is amazing to be able to do that. So best car, sounding car of all time, do you, that... Quite possibly the 767B, but then again, I haven't heard it in person. I'm going to in about another two and a half weeks, three weeks' time, hopefully. Okay. Well, that's pretty exciting. So what do you think if, you know, putting on a big event like the AMF, what 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 are the things that you need to be able to do to put on such a big event? Um. <laughs> There's a lot of things and it is a tremendous challenge that I'll be quite honest with you is mostly unpleasant, I have to say, unfortunately, <laughs> um, for a great deal of oh, it, you know, it, because because uh, I'm so consumed with what I'm doing and, and certainly I've got some great staff um, that uh, do the same thing. They also share that, that passion, which um, makes you so deeply entrenched in it and so passionate about trying to make sure that it's as good as you possibly can that it becomes um, a really, really laborious task that um, you don't get to stop and smell the roses in. Like what I mean by that is, you know, when I get a call from someone like a Damon Hill or someone like that, I just deal with what's happening around that. And it's not until I get out of that headspace of sort of work, 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 work that I can stop and appreciate, wow, like as a kid, I couldn't afford to go to the Formula One Grand Prix. I sat outside and listened to it with my back up against the fence. And, you know, back then people like Stephanie Hansen and Damon Hill and others were uh, maybe not as late as Damon Hill, but um, um, uh, but uh, the, they were racing and... Um, and now I'm communicating with these people and, you know, uh, it just it's sometimes it's sort of one of those pinch yourself type moments, you know, that, yeah, that it's, it's, it's hard to sort of uh, remember that you're sort of, you're mixing with those people and, and doing that kind of stuff because it all just gets caught up in work and it's not until we pull the event off and if it's successful that then we properly celebrate it. Can, evalu- can evaluate. It's yeah. kind of like a Taylor Swift concert where the... The thousands of people outside of the event that yeah. couldn't get weren't lucky enough to get a ticket or something, but they can still experience it because it's sound. Mm. I don't know what they'd be seeing from out there, but with cars, they have that's mm. the thing. Like, I, I can hear cars, I wind my window. I'm that sort of guy. I'm one of, I always wind my window down, and that's how I knew if a cop was on the ball or not. Because if cops were cruising out their windows down, they knew you knew they could hear you. If they had their windows up, they had no idea where you were. Not that I was ever trying to get away from the police. Oh. <laughs> Where's electric car racing? Uh, do you want to talk a bit about your electric car? Um, uh, it's a business. Yeah, well, I, um, uh, myself and another couple of people were um, to talking about what we might do in the electric vehicle space, mostly around mining vehicles some time ago. And then um, I developed a company called Zero Automotive, with um, um, a business partner, and we started to convert Toyota Land Cruisers to electric vehicles for underground um, use or underground mining use. 
And um, we, we did this very rapidly, actually, over just only a few years. And then I, uh, we ended up doing a contract or get, uh, forming an agreement with Oz Minerals and um, <coughs> supplying them with underground mining vehicles. And then it was around about that time that um, I um, sold it, sold my share in that business and I moved on from it. But I certainly understand what it takes to develop an electric vehicle and, you know, all the components within it. And I suppose at that time I oh, – even now I'm um, – the electric vehicle does make sense, although myself I, you know, I'm – clearly fond of cars and have you know old classic cars and things like that but um uh, the electric vehicle does make sense in many ways um i'm really keen to see what happens in a couple of other spaces though the hydrogen space but also i'm really really keen on synthetic uh petroleum fuels yeah. at the moment and what might happen with um you know, in that space so that's for those people that don't know that's they're fuels that are made from the carbon that's captured from the atmosphere or carbon that's captured from other places. Um, here in South Australia, Santos have got a carbon capture program and they re-inject the carbon um, uh, back into the end of the earth. Um, but you take that carbon, you combine it with hydrogen that you would um, obtain through electrolysis of water, like seawater, and then you custom make a hydrocarbon, and that's what... You know, petrol is, um, or diesel is. So they're all hydrocarbons. And then, um, uh, I suppose, if you are using renewable energy for the electricity that um, is required to do those things, then you're really creating a fuel that's a carbon neutral um, um, yeah. fuel. So, Alexis are going down the hydrogen path, <clears throat> which they they've sort of mentioned it for a while, because I think they can sort of see. Well, not everything can go electric. Yeah. Um, so, it'd be interesting space. Um, mm. What what are some of the things that get you out of bed? Or what actually gets you out of bed motivated each day? Uh, probably, probably a bad thing to ask no, two weeks out from just, your event. Uh, just, um, uh, I suppose, I think hard about this, over-delivering, like all the constant desire to deliver on obligations, but to try to take things to a, a new level. And I suppose it's a it's a uh, careful balance. It's probably an unhealthy um, and it's probably unbalanced um, desire to, um, to overachieve on things, exceed expectations and, you know, constantly seek to make something better. That we, you know, in our, in our life, in, in society today, we often view that as being a really positive thing. But it does does mean that it you know you can just be a bit of a workaholic, which I am on this. So you going down the path of over under promise over deliver? Well, I'm always <coughs> yeah I I guess so. Yeah. Well, well, I, you, I, what you even hearing some stuff today? I mean, I've been following the AMF, but I know you're le- you're slowly releasing things leading up, mm-hmm. and I think it's fantastic. I learned some new things from just what you've said. What keeps you awake at night then? All the same <coughs> things. <laughs> do you get worried about that? Like, do you get worried about, you know, I, th- I think you can't change things if a big name says they're coming to town yeah. and they're like, oh, no. or you know. Well, that's exactly right. That's like, it. That's it, JP, is that um, there's some th- certain things we can control, right, or we think we can control, um, 
And you got to remember, like we, we're a small team. Like there's really about four of us that are working on this thing full time, and there's a whole suite of people that are contractors or you know part time employees that work on this thing as well. And on event, there's you know two hundred and something um, you know volunteers and officials. There's a lot of moving parts, but. Um, yeah, there's a lot of human interaction, and and in, and again, in this day and age, there's a lot of people that let you down. I mean, when we're dealing with high net worth individuals, particularly with um, cars at times, and or we're dealing with um, people that we you know might have contracts with, they um, uh, if it doesn't suit them, you know, if they you know say they're going to come or this is going to happen, and then they decide to change their mind, then I mean, I can't really be doing anything about it. So, but you uh, do remember. Yeah, you do, but it, that's after the fact. So, you know, we've got to pick up the pieces or deal with the mess at the time. So it's really it's really difficult to get people on board, keep them on board and make sure they do what they're going to do. I found, I found that pre-COVID, people had a different attitude. Now, it's post-COVID, their attitude is, is, just, is very different. I, I, I don't know why, but um, so we just deal with a lot of problems there. And even things like, you know, we're freighting cars from the other side of the earth, you know, to get here. And, you know, sometimes paperwork doesn't get done in time or there's a fault with paperwork or, you know, uh, I mean, that 767B nearly didn't get on the boat, like quite literally got delayed several times and it was... Um, it was at the death knock. If it missed this last boat, it wasn't going to come. Oh. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's on every single poster. It's on everything that we're doing. Um, you know, so, you know, that's due, that's due to dock in Adelaide in about another day or two's time. So, um, you know. <laughs> I'm sure certain. you can pull some strings on that, but freight's gone through the roof. It's coming oh. back. Oh. I don't – well, far out, I need to speak to your guys because it, it has – it's been an interesting thing. Anyway, we don't, we're not here to talk about freight. Yeah. We are running out of time because you said – yeah, he, you know, Tim came in here and goes, look, Scott, I'm, you won't be more than five, ten minutes, 30 minutes max. <laughs> We've almost been an hour. Okay. But I've got some questions from sure. fans. Sure. Yeah, so we can go into those. Should Adelaide host a race like the Monaco Historics? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, do, do you think is there ever a chance of Formula One coming to Adelaide? I don't think so, for many, many, many different reasons. Well, America's got like three or four races. Australia yeah. had the biggest crowd ever in yeah, Melbourne. Correct. Well, yes, and you know where, who held the record prior to that? Uh, Adelaide. Yeah. Yeah. So, does it not make sense that you do the double? Oh, it makes sense to me. I don't think so. Too much, too much to get the track. To, well, to get because no, it's got to be a street circuit. I think that there's probably um, more money in other markets. You know, like let's say, yeah, for okay. example, like I could see there potentially could be another race in America. America's a massive, massive market for them. You know, it's a business, right? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. there's a whole heap of things to consider. And then I think that the money involved in delivering it. And the economic benefit of the state, you know, that might stack up. But um, I, my personal opinion is, I don't think it's going to happen. Okay, so do we have to go to Malinowskis and say you've got to get in for another term? And or if he comes out and says I'll get F one back to Adelaide, fuck, I reckon he'd get in. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think he's probably going to get in anyway. In reality, um, I, I, I don't. I look, he's expressed an interest in Formula One here. Yeah, but look, there's. 
there, there's a deal there with Melbourne that is uh, a fairly long-term agreement that's in place. So I, I, I just I don't think it's going to happen. All right. Um, <laughs> the Monaco I, Historics thing is a is something that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, well, I, I met a couple of blokes last year that were doing um, F1 historics in uh, Dubai. Yeah. PJ. I, I, yeah. Yes. I, yeah. I met no, really cool dudes and they just drive other people's Formula One cars for a living. What a fucking life that is. Like, yeah. Jesus Christ. And they were good looking dudes. Um, Pierre, is that, I think? Yeah, yeah. 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 They were really cool dudes. So That's a real possibility, I think. Okay. Um, why do you drink Aperol Spritz when there are good drinks in the world? <laughs> um, that must be someone that knows you. I was um, only do that because Ben Fitzsimmons, Ben Fitzsimmons coached me to do that. Ben Fitzsimmons um, is a massive, massive Aperol Spritz fan. So much so that I, I would probably wouldn't doubt that he's the one that sent B- that. Through. It's at BJF. Oh, is it? Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, we don't know who that is, but anyway. <laughs> um, That's Ben Fitzsimmons. Oh, is it? <laughs> g'day, 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 Ben. G'day, Ben. <laughs> um, this year is looking amazing. Congratulations. What can we look forward to for 2025? Shit. We, I don't think we have time for that, do we? Um, 25. I am hoping, big call here, I'm hoping that we announce our dates and our post delivery and an announcement i'm really hoping i can do that at the conclusion of this year's event and so then you'll find out okay wait here um (laughs) what's your favorite event hi dad are you kidding me no oh Oh, cool um pablot what's that is that pablot am i saying that pablot yeah i don't know about that no <laughs> I've got another child. <laughs> I don't know about that one. Well, we were a bit worried about that one. So, anyway, yeah. what's your favourite event? What's your favourite motorsport event other uh, than your own? Other than my own, yeah. Um, I've got to say, um, but I look at these things from a different perspective, right? So, operationally, there's parts of the Melbourne Grand Prix that are really, I just, you know, when I go there and I just see how they do p- little things, are, are quite good. Um, I'm really impressed by – this isn't going to be very exciting for your audience, but when you go into the Goodwood Festival of Speed, the thing that I'm constantly amazed by there is the the use of vast amounts of money to make everything look perfect. So, you know, people don't walk on uh, – from one, play, one part of the event to the other part, let's say there's a major sort of thoroughfare, there's aluminium rollout tracking. I mean kilometres and kilometres and kilometres of it so that you don't have to walk on grass or women can walk on that with heels and, you know, they don't get stuck in the grass. And the back of house area of every little sort of food vendor or whatever is all tidied up with walling and things. So it's just everything's perfect. Um, So (coughs) So it's the little things. It's the little things and, you know, from a, a different type of event, a trade show event in Birmingham, the Autosport International they, there's just some little niceties. It's actually often the little things. Yeah. So in Birmingham at the Autosport International, on the hour, every hour through, and this is held indoors, so there's different halls that you go into, the sound of a Formula One car going up through the gears starts in one hall, so that could be, uh, let's say, um, could be 200 metres away, and then it s- comes through all of the halls, so it sounds like a Formula One car on the ceiling racing through all of the halls and then you know oh, it's one o'clock 
and then you hear this other, and again, an hour later, wow. you'll hear this thing that's fly through. And it's uh, it's <clears> these <throat> little tiny things like that. It's sort of like, that's sort of cool. Have you heard the, the uh, uh, was that a racetrack where they, it might be Monaco, where Ant and Senna, uh, they have it so they re-engineered the sound to go through without obviously the car being on the track, but they re-engineered, okay. yeah, oh. I might be talking shit there, but it, no, no, it similar, similar things been done <coughs> in at Suzuka. That's where it was. That's yeah, where it yeah, was Suzuka. Yeah, yeah. That sounds cool. It's very cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyone's you looking for some sound people to put this? <laughs> you event? <laughs> All right. The this is uh, is the showgrounds stage which used to be a part of Targa <laughs> Adelaide coming back. I would like it to be, and I've I've tried to get that over the line. It didn't help when uh, someone put their Nissan Silvia through a brick wall there back in uh, 2012, I think it was. Um, so showgrounds haven't got the same appetite that this person has or that I would to, to do that, unfortunately. But I'm trying. I'd donate some of my warehouse for a special stage if that was any good. Uh, just saying. Um, okay. okay, last question because we know you're a busy man. Are there any Mazdas left in your stable? No. Um, oh my! And, yeah, God. no. And I've had I've had so 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 many that, and you know, I've got so many re- regrets of things <laughs> that I sold. Um, but um, no, um, there there is not. Though I'd love to get one. I'd love to get them. I'm probably an RX3. Probably nice RX3. Oh, yeah, everyone likes that. Don't I? I mean, I don't mind. Uh, I'm looking, I like a nice Type R, mm. uh, Series 6, RX7. Mm. I think that would be a sweet add to, um, to my, yeah. but I, I bloody bid it on one and I stopped bidding at 150 and it got handed in 170. Yeah, wow. Can you believe that shit? Yeah. Okay. Well, I. I used to ask a whole lot of questions, but we ditched them because we found we had younger people and they couldn't figure out answers and stuff like that. I used to ask, if you were died and came back as a board game, what board game would best describe your life? And it, it stumped so many people, I had to stop answering it. So I'm not going to ask it to you. <laughs> but if something comes to mind, you can more than happy to say it. But there it goes. So, Tim, thank you for coming on. I told you we could speak for a lot longer than you ever imagined I wish you all the best for the AMF coming up. And if you don't know about it, we'll put all the deets podcast. So we hope to see people out there. There still are some tickets available. I heard the number there. We, we want to try and maximize this to make sure this is another event that makes us, our our state looks amazing. We live here for a reason. I'm so glad I moved back here from Queensland because I believe this is one of the best places in the world to live. And we are lucky enough to do it. So to showcase it off in some, Big events, motorsport events. You're bringing people from all around the world to yes. this amazing state. And uh, I'd like to thank you for doing that because that is what makes this state amazing. And it's people like you that are doing it. Thank you. Thanks, JP. Thanks.